Hello and welcome to A History of the United States, episode 145, The Crisis. Last time out, we looked at the prevalence of slavery in the United States during the Revolutionary Period, before moving on to how the war was going in late 1776. The British landed in New York and pushed the Americans off Long Island, then Manhattan. Washington's forces kept falling back, but British generalship was so poor that they never pressed home their advantage, and constantly allowed the Americans to work their way out of traps they had caught themselves in. Eventually, the British decided to rethink their strategy. Rather than attempting to push east to Rhode Island and Boston, General Howe would send Henry Clinton to capture Newport, and he himself would turn west. Washington was greatly concerned by this turn of events. Unsure of Howe's plans, Lee was left behind with a force to guard the entry into New England while he decided to cover the Hudson and gateway to New Jersey. He was thus caught off guard when the British moved along the New York side and took Fort Washington on November 16th. Washington realised that this made the fort on the New Jersey side of the river, Fort Lee, vulnerable. But before the Americans could move, the British attacked with uncharacteristic speed. Three days after taking Fort Washington, Lord Cornwallis crossed the Hudson and took Fort Lee. Luckily for the Patriots, one of the American patrols spotted the British, allowing Commander Nathaniel Green to flee although 100 Americans were captured. At this juncture, Henry Clinton urged that he be used in the Westwood campaign, either in an attack up the Chesapeake against Philadelphia, or moving to trap Washington in New Jersey. But the Howes insisted that the British needed a port capable of docking their ships for the winter, so he ordered them to stick to the plan and take Newport in Rhode Island. This was a simple enough task, and Clinton promptly returned to London to see that his accomplishments were rewarded. Meanwhile, Cornwallis continued where he left off. Washington's force, which had stood at 10,000 during the Battle of Long Island, was reduced to a broken and dispirited remnant of 3,000. The Americans fled first to Newark, then New Brunswick. Seeing he was in dire straits, he urged Lee to cross the Hudson to join him and requested support from the Pennsylvania and New Jersey militias. Cornwallis was ordered to halt, but Washington continued to retreat, moving to Princeton, then finally Trenton, where he was joined by the militias. He collected all the boats on the Delaware River and used them to ferry his beleaguered force. When the British reached Trenton on December 8th, they found no boats, and the American force was safely on the other side. Howe decided that he was done for 1776 and set about preparing winter encampments before the weather became too harsh, and aware that crossing the river while the Americans controlled it meant exposing his supply train back to New York. This left the British with control of New York, Long Island, and most of New Jersey, but Howe was not happy. It's safe to say that 1776 had not gone as the British had planned. Howe had been frustrated, but 
but things had gone even worse in Canada. We last left the Canadian frontier in early 1776. The Americans had been pushed back in their attempts to capture Quebec and Montreal. The British commander-in-chief for Canada, Carlton, was planning to move down the Lake Champlain Corridor and the Hudson to unite with General Howe. However, this didn't go exactly to plan. Horatio Gates was given command of the American forces in Canada by Congress, but when he reached New York in June, he found Philip Schuyler leading the remnants of the Canadian force, and agreed to serve under him. Along with other officers, including General Benedict Arnold, they thought of the best way to hold back the British, ultimately settling on abandoning Crown Point and strengthening their position at Fort Ticonderoga. The move was criticised by their subordinates, and was censured both by Washington and the Continental Congress, seen as yet more retreating. Given the dilapidated state of Crown Point, this was probably a good move. I've criticised Schuyler's generalship in previous episodes, but he was skilled at organising supplies. He strengthened up the force, and the threat of Carlton persuaded militiamen to join him until the force had been built up to some 6,000. However, Carlton was unable to reach Ticonderoga due to warships Benedict Arnold had on Lake Champlain. He therefore had to transfer ships from the St. Lawrence and construct new ones. The decision to abandon Crown Point was made on the 5th of July, but it wasn't until October 4th that the British could sail on Lake Champlain. Arnold did not retreat, but met the British in battle on October the 11th. They were outgunned and outmanned, but he managed to slow Carlton down for several weeks. After the battle, Carlton believed it was too late in the season to transport his army across Lake Champlain. He thought he would be able to take Ticonderoga, but he wasn't confident of reaching southern New York before the cold set in. He decided instead to base himself at Fort St. John's. It was lucky for the Patriots, as the winter turned out to be a mild one, and the British would have encountered little trouble moving their way southwards. Meanwhile, Washington's position beyond the Delaware was looking bleak. Many in the American army doubted Washington and wanted him to resign, but Washington was resilient. The British attack he feared never came, so he evaluated his options. His position wasn't great, but it wasn't as bad as it appeared. He would lose his militiamen due to return home at the end of the year, but his appeals for help were starting to work and Moore joined him. So did Lee's army, although Lee himself was captured by the British. By December 20th, Washington's numbers were up to 6,000 with more on the way. He was confident enough to make a counterattack. On Christmas evening, 1776, Washington made a crossing of the Delaware River, where they encountered the British at the Battle of Trenton. Believing the Americans weak, the British failed to defend their positions, and Washington finally won a victory. The event would go down as one of Washington's famous achievements, and is the subject of a famous 1851 painting, imaginatively entitled, Washington Crossing the Delaware. 
it was still a dangerous position to be in, and so he crossed back to Pennsylvania before returning to Trenton over December 30th and 31st with a force of 5,000. It was a bold move as the American attack woke the British from their slumber. Howe could not let the attack go unpunished, so Cornwallis was called from New York with a force of 6,000 with even more coming behind. Washington found himself suddenly in a dangerous position, which he should have expected really. Cornwallis advanced up to Washington on January 2nd, but decided against making an attack late in the day. Arrogantly, he did not make sure that Washington stayed put during the night. Washington and his generals decided to leave their campfires burning to make the British think they were still in place, and then marched around Cornwallis to the south and east, escaping the trap. It's a move that reminds me of Hannibal during the Second Punic War. When trapped by the Romans, Hannibal tied torches to the horns of cattle and drove them away. The Romans thought Hannibal was escaping and chased the cows, enabling Hannibal to break out of a trap. Washington's move was slightly less imaginative, but no less effective. He followed it up with a victory at Princeton. Washington was tempted to follow this up, with an attack on New Brunswick, but his soldiers were exhausted. Instead, he moved north and took up a position in the hills at Morristown, where he would be secure. Howe, due to the weather, did not follow. In fact, Washington had the potential to cut off his supplies, so he withdrew to eastern New Jersey. Washington was now in an excellent position and set about waiting for the spring to make his next move. This would be one of the turning points of the war. Tom Paine, who had joined up with the army, would pen an essay to rally the Patriots. His essay was called The Crisis. It included the famous line, quote, These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country but he that stands it now deserves the love and thanks of men and women. End quote. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.